0: As you go through certification, it's not just a gate to get through, but it's an opportunity to stop and ask yourself questions about the way you're running your company and the way you ought to be running your company.
1: From Go Collective, this is Responsibly Different, sharing stories of certified B-corporations and our journey of joining them in leveraging business as a force for good. Welcome back to another episode of Responsibly Different. If you're tuning into this podcast, odds are pretty good that you care deeply about our planet and taking measures to protect it. We talk a lot on this show about supply chains and sourcing, but have you ever thought about the carbon footprint of your favorite conferences or business travel? Well, our guest today certainly has, and he's got a pretty epic solution for you. Eric Zimmerman shared with me his journey towards sustainability in his own life and how it ultimately led to his founding Trip Zero. Trip Zero works with conference organizers to organize and facilitate conferences while offsetting all the carbon emissions created by them at no additional cost. Keep listening to hear the full story and to better understand your own carbon footprint. So... Eric, to kind of start us off, can you tell us a little bit about Trip Zero and
0: yourself and, and how Trip Zero came to be? Sure. No, uh, Happy to do it. And thanks for you know thanks for having me today. I appreciate it. I've been looking forward to this. In fact, I was, I was listening to your earlier podcast with Vital Farms this morning and, uh, and really enjoying it. So I can recommend that to your listeners. So Trip Zero is a, we're a, a company in the travel business that uh, primarily focuses on big conferences and events. And our story is we're the guys that supply big blocks of hotel rooms to event organizers. And then we take the commissions we earn from that and we measure the carbon footprint created by everybody's travel to the event. And we erase it for free by funding renewable energy and reforestation projects through the purchase of financial vehicles called Certified Carbon offsets. So that's kind of at the top level what we do. But to answer your question of sort of how we got started and how we got here that's a little longer story. Um, I'm on a bit of a sustainability journey, and it started for me, I think, back in 2007. Um, I was actually running a big book business at the time. I was a publisher for 20 years. And we had just acquired another publishing company, which was in the home improvement uh, book publishing business. And I got invited by their editor-in-chief to go to, of all things, a conference. And it was a conference on green building. So we flew down to Atlanta, and we were listening to the keynote speaker, and he was uh, this really smart, sharp author Nick, by the name of Eric Corey Freed, who had just published a book called Green Building for Dummies. And he gave this impassioned talk about climate change and how it was going to impact sort of every living thing on the planet. And of course, he was appealing to builders and architects to change the way they design and build so that they would have less impact. But at the end of this thing, um, you know, he pauses for a minute. He says, look, my biggest fear is that my daughter's generation is going to grow up on a destroyed planet. And they're going to look back on my generation, and this is a guy about my age, and they're going to say, you guys knew, and you didn't do anything about it. What the f- was wrong with you? And said, so we can't say that about my parents' generation. We can't say it about my grandparents' generation, because they didn't know, but we know. And it's on us, and we're probably the last generation that has an opportunity to really to really bend the curve here. And that comment really hit me. I, I sort of felt like I was in a lo- alone in a room of 1,000 people uh, with a spotlight on me. And it, it stuck with me. And as as I was as I was flying back, um, the irony of that strikes me now, um, to uh, to Boston, I I got to thinking about sort of where I could have an impact. And it you know immediately became clear that the place where I could probably have the biggest impact was in my business. You know, we were a big publisher, we were also a really big manufacturer of books, you know, those things that are made out of trees. And that, that juxtaposition struck me. I got back, I, I I pulled a team together, an amazing team, and we started to address this question. And to make a long story a little less long, uh, we invented a program whereby we began to book uh, print books on post-consumer waste recycled paper, and it had never been done before, um, which has a whole host of benefits, including saving trees, preventing methane emission in landfills, water savings, electricity savings, all these great things. Uh, And then we developed a methodology that we shared with the entire industry about how to do this and an education program that we put in all the books that we published. So we were educating consumers and we were educating the industry in the process. And it was in 20 years, hands down, the most rewarding work in publishing that I'd done. And so sort of on the strength of that, my my wife, Abby, and I started talking about what we needed to do ourselves. Right. Because, okay, we'd sort of done some work at work at work, but what what to do ourselves and we embarked on a project to turn our house into a zero energy house. So we did this, uh, what's called a deep energy retrofit. So the roof came off, the walls came off, all the windows came out. And it was all replaced with super air sealing, super insulation, um, new, new triple pane windows with all these fancy gases in them. And the upshot is we reduced the energy consumption on the house by
1: 80%. Wow!
0: And then we put enough solar panels on the house to run the whole house and run two electric vehicles. So I now drive a solar-powered car every day, which is great fun. And my neighbors like to laugh and joke at me, and they say, when I drive down the street, butterflies come out my tailpipe, right? (laughs) That's amazing. So so I thought, okay, I'm a good guy now. You know, I've sort of done it, right? Check and check. And then I bumped into, you know, I I would like to say I stepped on the rake. So I read this article um, in the New York Times, about the about the carbon impact of the travel industry and flying. And I went, and I did a retroactive calculation of my business travel. And it turns out that my business travel was producing over 50 tons of CO2 a year. Now, to put that in perspective, the average American citizen creates about 18 tons a year, the average citizen of Europe, eight tons a year, the average citizen of India, one and a half tons a year. So here, Eric, you know, Mr. Green guy was pumping 50 tons a year into the atmosphere based on my flights. I was I wasn't the solution. I was public enemy number one. Right. And it was it was right on the heels of that that I, I bumped into another thing. And this is the good part of the story. Uh, I bumped into these projects called called carbon projects or carbon offset projects, which and we can talk more about it later. But they are these amazing projects they are all around the globe. There are thousands of them and they are designed to do one of two things, either prevent CO2 or its equivalent from being emitted into the atmosphere um, or to cause its reabsorption from the atmosphere. So the simplest example that people think about is like a reforestation program. We plant trees and we all remember from high school biology, those trees pull CO2 out of the atmosphere, they store it in the wood, they store it in the soil, and you know, they create that environmental benefit and a, you know, sort of a host of others. And I sort of I sort of put that travel problem and that that carbon offset solution together. And I thought, well, what if we could start a travel company that would address these two things at the same time? And we launched Trip Zero basically on the strength of that idea It was like that old commercial you used to see about Reese's peanut butter cups, where these two people are walking down the street. They bump into each other. One person's chocolate falls into the other guy's peanut butter. And it's like, hey, you got peanut butter on my chocolate. Hey, you got chocolate on my peanut butter. Hey, they taste great! Woohoo! You know, now we got a great candy. Well, that's about as scientific as the process was. And um, it wasn't long after we launched, and we launched a, a direct-to-consumer business, that we started to get calls from conference organizers. And that's how we stumbled backwards into the conference and events and festival business. And that's now where 98% of our revenue comes from. So, apologies for the long-winded answer, but there it is. No, that's great, though. I mean, and I think that there's there's so
1: much to be learned in that, right? That like as humans, we grow, we evolve, and that changes the course of things, right? Because I think sometimes we get stuck in this, like, you know, like, there's no coming back from whatever. And it's like, no, like, we can always change course. And like that, that should be celebrated, right? For sure. So I'm so curious. So how does it all actually work? You're offsetting the carbon footprint of travel and events, which is amazing. But like, how, how does that actually manifest?
0: So, I guess on a day-to-day basis, it really starts with our customers who are amazing. And we are, I mean, every, every business loves its customers, but we are extraordinarily fortunate here because Trip Zero sort of self-selects for an amazingly cool customer set. And, and they're not monolithic. So we serve everything from super button down conservative finance conferences that you would never expect to have this be issue number one on their plates. Two, we do one of the biggest reggae festivals every year out in California. And everything in between, we do green building conferences, renewable energy conferences. We do a conference on, on the law surrounding workers' compensation benefits. I mean, it's it's an incredibly varied group, but the customer base is all really cool. And yeah. either the event organizer or the organization or their attendees, or all three of those are dialed into the fact that when they get on a plane, they're creating a lot of pollution and that's a big problem. And by the way, globally it's about eight, it travels about 8% of the global CO2 emissions and it's it's among if not the fastest growing source of emissions in the world. So, it's a big problem that we're hearing more and more about, and it's getting bigger. So, these event organizers, they want to address that problem and and to sort of sort of scale it for you. We serve events that are as big as 20,000 people, but a typical event for us is let's say 500 people and they're going to a to a let's say Philadelphia, you know, from all across the country for a few days to attend a conference. And an event like that between everybody's flights and hotels will produce north of a million pounds of CO2. Wow. And sounds like a lot, but what is a million pounds of CO2? So imagine it this way. If that conference organizer, you know, uh, the tanker trucks that carry gasoline to your local gas station. Mm-hmm. All right. If that conference organizer pulled six of those up in front of the conference and lit them on fire during registration, that would be the carbon equivalent of everybody's flights and hotels there. So it, it, it's, it's a pretty ugly image and it's, it's, it's an enormous impact. So what we do when, we're, when we are contracted by an event organizer is first and foremost, we go out and, and we source hotels for the attendees. So you know, anytime you attend a conference, there's always that link they send you. Hey, book the you know book the conference hotel. You're going to get a great deal. We're those guys, and uh, you know our attendees wind up paying anywhere from twenty to thirty percent less for the hotel than they would if they went and you know booked it on an online travel agency or booked it direct. So then we build these beautiful, and I'm not the guy who build them, so I get to say they're beautiful. We build these beautiful websites for the event organizers, which become the travel page for that event, but they also contain a lot of content about carbon offsets and how the projects work. And so we're educating people, which is a really important part of our mission, about, the, about making responsible choices in travel and how this event is doing a great job at being responsible as it relates to everyone's travel footprint. And then, of course, uh, we take the attendee or the traveler list and we run it through a horribly sophisticated computer system that calculates everyone's carbon footprint to get there. We add it all up in terms of the number of tons that we need to erase or offset. And then we go out and we purchase certified carbon offsets, which support the types of projects that I was describing, which essentially offset or counterbalance all the pollution created by by that event. And the cool part that I always forget to mention, and my staff are always reminding me, is tell people it's free. So there's no cost to the attendee, and there's no cost to the event organizer. We get paid a commission by hoteliers, and we use a big piece of that commission to buy the carbon offsets. That's incredible.
1: That's incredible. It's Thank so you. it's so funny. I mean, part of how I, I heard about you was from Brittany Angel in Revision Energy. She was one of our earlier uh, episodes. And she was like, trip zero. I just need to understand how that works because it just seems like pure magic. And even now, even understanding it, I'm like, that still feels like pure magic. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about carbon offsets.
0: Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly... I. The carbon projects and the folks that develop carbon offset projects are the real sort of heroes of this story. So the, the amount of energy and smart thinking and innovation that goes into these projects just, it, it delights me every day. So I'll give you a few examples. One of the first projects that we funded uh, was a reforestation project down in southern Chile. And an entrepreneur had bought a huge tract of land, had put it into a state of permanent conservation, so essentially it was like almost like protected as if it were a park a national park and then they were painstakingly regrowing that land had been i'm sorry cleared for for raising cattle and for for agriculture and they were painstakingly regrowing a native species rainforest on that land geolocating every tree and doing precise measurements about the amount of co2 that was being reabsorbed from the atmosphere and every time that project reabsorbs one ton it can sell what's called a certified carbon offset um, to a company like ours that's looking to erase someone else's impact, which which sort of gets me to a topic that's near and dear to my heart and I think valuable, which is the term certified carbon offset. So, you you read a lot about carbon offset projects in the in the media today, and and a lot of journalists understand them, and a lot of journalists don't. And so I think it's important, you know, particularly when we talk to the B Corp community that everyone pay attention to using what are called certified carbon offsets. So they're offsets that have gone through, they're offset projects that have gone through a very rigorous certification process. And they've been tested against many elements, but the most important are that they create additionality so that the project couldn't have existed without carbon finance being introduced. So you can imagine that reforestation project, right? What's the economic in that without carbon finance? Less so, right? Or we've also funded a a renewable energy project, a solar project in, in India. And India is a country that's heavily reliant on coal for electricity. And there are something like 300 million people in India that don't have electricity today. So that's the population of the United States with no electricity today, and they want it and they have every right to get it. The question is, are they going to get it by burning coal? Or are they going to get it by, you know, through renewable energy? Um, and that's a place where carbon finance has been able to step in and essentially provide like a down payment on a solar farm, almost like the down payment on a on a mortgage for a house that your rich uncle gives you, you know, if you're if you're so fortunate. And then the projects get up and running and they and they maintain themselves. But carbon finance gets that going and creates that, you know, that enormous benefit. So in addition to additionality, the projects have to be verifiable. So they have to be, you have to be able to measure the carbon impact that you're having. And often those projects have to go back and recertify some years later to prove the the benefit that, you know, that they originally certified under, which with something like uh, renewable energy is is really easy to do because you can measure the kilowatt hours you put on the grid and compare that to those kilowatt hours going on the grid, you know, from a coal-fired power plant. And, you know, the math is easy. And then the last thing is that they be permanent so that, uh, you know they can't be lost uh, along the way. And so forestry projects will always overcompensate. They will protect more land than they need to for the amount of carbon offset projects that they sell in case they lose some to forest fire, which we're hearing a lot about these days, or insect you know, infiltration and so forth. But you know, on the other side of the ledger, if you take methane out of a landfill and you burn it and turn it into electricity, there's no going back. You've eliminated that methane, you've turned it into electricity. It's another type of project that we fund and and the effect is quite permanent. So, certified carbon offsets are what we use and it's a really important part of that sort of overall picture.
1: I'm curious if if would that if there's any like cautionary tale for B Corps or or folks looking for certification where I know a big part of the BIA is you know, do you offset your carbon footprint or da, 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 whatever right? And there's like I mean, a whole sea of options out there where businesses can select, oh I want to offset this much by XYZ whatever. It sounds like there might be some options out there that maybe aren't as impactful yeah. or optimal. Yeah. Is that like what should folks I mean it I mean it sounds like to those points but are there like
0: red flags that if people see, oh, hmm, maybe I should dig deeper on that? So so I would say rather than identify red flags, what I would say is what you want to look for are the right standards. So there's the there's the verified carbon standard or what's called VCS. There's the gold standard. And then there's the car standard or climate action reserve standard, which is a California standard. Now, there are other good standards, but those are considered by those of us in the industry to be the absolute highest bar. And so I would look for projects that are certified to one of those standards in the offsets that you're buying. And then further, I would suggest, and I'll, you know just shameless plug for a a fellow B Corp uh, up in Vermont, Native Energy, and there are others. So I, my apologies to other B Corps that also retail carbon offsets. But Native Energy in Vermonts both develops carbon offset projects and they resell carbon offset projects that others have developed. And so they're a fantastic additional layer on this whole thing because they really look under the hood as they as they look at a project. And you know, I think if you're if you're buying certified projects from an organization like Native Energy you can check that box and move on to, you know, onto the next thing. You've done the right thing.
1: Oh, that's great. Thank you so much for that. I'm curious too, what are some of the impacts of travel and events that folks might not even know about or be aware of that they're, you know, like to your point, like they're think they're doing all the right things and then they take a trip and it's like, oh shoot, it all goes out the window.
0: Yeah. So one of the things that, you know, obviously from a climate perspective, the number one impact is your transportation and, and, and most of the activity there is about flights, right? So, if you have the opportunity, you're going on family vacation and you have the opportunity to take a train to get there as opposed to flying, you should, right? I used to be a guy that would fly from Boston to New York for a day-long meeting and fly back. I could have taken the train and had 90% less carbon footprint. And oh, by the way, probably been a heck of a lot more comfortable than I used to be sitting on the tarmac in LaGuardia while the thunderstorms were going on, but that's another story. So, you know, choosing the right mode of transportation is is important, but then sort of beyond that it's, it's and this is an area that we are increasingly um, getting drawn into and working with our customers on is, okay, we've we've taken care of the carbon footprint of everybody's transport, and we've taken care of the carbon footprint of, of their hotel stay. And in some instances, we're even taking care of the modest carbon footprint created by electricity use on the ground, you know, to run the convention center or, or, or the hotel, ballroom, or whatever. But that's, that's kind of a bit player in the story. The transit is, the flights are, are, are really where the action is. However, you know, whenever you travel, you're having an impact on the local community and the local economic ecosystem. And increasingly, we're working with event organizers that want to make sure that things that are happening and suppliers to their events are actually also creating benefits to the local community. So in some cases... They're choosing to put events in cities where the economic activity would really be appreciated. so there are plenty of popular cities that I have friends in in the travel industry that I won't name in California that everyone's been to and they're very glamorous to go to, or you can take your business to Detroit, where the economy is still in recovery mode and you're going to wind up having a really positive impact on a lot of small local businesses, and a lot of those businesses are minority owned so you know you can really amplify the impact of your spending in an environment like that those same organizers are paying attention to the types of of food that are being brought into into their events you know am i getting a, a piece of chicken that was shipped from you know 1500 miles away or did it come from a farm 80 miles away and was it you know free range or organically raised or or in some you know in some responsible farming fashion and the, you know they're realizing that that they they both have their attendees feel better when they serve better more nutritious food and they also have a great impact on local businesses and the environment by extension by you know helping to support more responsible farming and and the like so you know those are some of the things that we're running into now and we're on a learning journey i mean we're not we're by no means done we got into this around around carbon footprints but our customers are 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 leading us along the way
1: that makes sense cool and I'm I'm curious. When along this journey did
0: you hear about B Corp? Oh yeah. So I was uh, I was at a conference. This term conference will keep coming up again and again. But I was at a conference out in California. It's a really neat one called Sustainable Brands. And uh, I was I was sort of new to the space. And I was walking around. We were in San Diego on this beautiful campus at this beautiful hotel. And I was describing uh, what we did to. Uh, to a, a gentleman who was also a, a B Corp founder. And he stopped and he looked at me and he said, have you ever heard of B Corps? And I said, nope, never had. He said, you're a B Corp and you don't even know it. And I wound up bumping into a, another B Corp CEO while I was at this conference. And she sort of had the same reaction. And then I came back to our business is based in Concord, Massachusetts. Uh, and I crossed paths with um, a gentleman who's now a good friend named Ben Anderson. And Ben Worked at a really neat B Corp called Preserve Products, which you're probably familiar with. Um, if you walk into Whole Foods, and they sell many things, so Ben will shoot me for this, but um, among their most popular items are toothbrushes, and they're made from recycled yogurt cups that come from yet another B Corp. So, Preserve Products was a company that he was working at the time, but he was in the process of transitioning into work at B Lab, and Ben ultimately went on to become the CEO of of B Lab U.S. and Canada, and uh, Ben and I got to know each other a bit and, and, you know, he explained his enthusiasm for the movement and educated me a bit. And, and sort of that was what, that was the, that was the thing that really finally pulled me into, and pulled us into this process, but pulled me in with, you know, sort of both feet.
1: That's awesome. And what was that journey like just deciding to go for it and then uh, actually certifying?
0: Yeah, the first time through um, it was a bloody mess. You know, we, we really hadn't set ourselves up to be audited. I would say we, you know, this, we were a small company. We still are, but we were a very small company then, in an early development stage. And when you go through the certification process, um, you know, it 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 it's quite a process. There's there, and you you end up answering a whole lot of questions that you need to have data to support, right? So it forced us to go back and collect all that data and get it into a place where because we assumed we were going to be audited on every question and you know we're honest guys and we wanted to make sure we were giving honest answers so we had to collect all that data and organize it in such a way so we could explain it to someone else even if it was something that we knew to be true we realized we had to gather the data and the supporting information to you know to be able to prove it so in a more mature business you might be able to turn to your accounting or your HR department and say hey give me copies of XYZ policy but in our case you know we might have we might've been following the right steps in our hiring practices, but we'd never documented it. So we had to go document it, right? That kind of thing. So first time through, it was, it was, it was really quite time consuming and it was a mess, but it was also an amazing learning process for us. You know, in, as you know, through the, through the certification process that the focus is what's your impact on the planet? What's your impact on your employees and what's your impact on the local community? And, you know, we had the planet thing nailed, we thought, and we, you know, we did, we were pretty good at that, but, employees in local community, we hadn't really gotten to that stage yet. And so in the process, you get to learn what other companies, what other B Corps are doing on that front. And I'm you know, convinced the tips of my toes, and we can talk more about this later, it, it made us a better company.
1: Yeah, I'm curious to, to hear a little bit more about that. Like, what do you think was kind of one of the big, big learns or, or kind of favorite takeaways? Yeah, so I, I think
0: one of my favorites, and it was, it was one of the things that caused when we went through... So we certified for the first time in 2014, we re-certified, I think, in 2017, and our score jumped a bunch in that that process. And part of the reason it jumped was, as a result of our first certification process, we decided to focus more energy on the impact we were having on our employees. And as a result of internal conversations, we came up with a program, which was not unlike what we saw at some other B Corps, where... We allow all of our employees, full or part time, to spend five percent of their time doing pro bono work, as long as it relates to um, our mission, climate, and the environment. Um, and that that work can take many, many forms. But five percent, particularly for a company of our scale, was a really, really big commitment. And our employees love it, and they, you know, they they'll brag to friends about it because that's usually the type of thing that you'll see, you know, maybe in a much larger enterprise than ours. And you know, it helps us, it helps us in recruiting, it helps us in employee satisfaction, and but more importantly, it helps us, it helps the, it helps the communities that we wind up, and the, and the, and the organizations in the communities that our that our people wind up working with. So that's a sort of, that's one of my favorites, um, and it also, in our recertification process, happened to be worth a lot of points. So it was a big part of what helped our score go up, and then we tried to get a little better in a lot of areas, but that, that type of work really moved a needle for us. That's
1: awesome. And speaking of recertification, I, I think you're either currently in the throes or, or recently just recertified. How how was, how was ha- has recertifying gone in comparison to like the first time you certify? Like, is it more challenging or was it a walk in the park? Yeah,
0: uh, the answer is kind of both. It was easier and it was harder. So in the sense that it was easier, the so there's this, sort of part of the organization at B-Lab called the Standards Team. And it's run by this great guy, Dan Osusky. Um, And he and that team have done a fantastic job with the underlying technology and the process that makes up the B-Impact Assessment. So if you've only recently certified, you've used, you know, air quotes, the new system, right? Um, And the new process. And when we first certified, it was back in 2014. And it's light years different and light years better than it used to be and it uh it's really important because you wind up spending, as you know, a lot of time in those systems interacting with those systems and questions and with that team and and it it's just it's they've made such improvements. it's fantastic. So from that perspective, it's easier. On the other hand, the process and and the the let's say the bar for certifying to become a b-corp has gotten harder higher since the first time we certified as it should, right? so. You know, in my opinion, one of the things that appealed to me about B Corp certification was, unlike some other certifications you can get, it's not fill out this form, write a check and you get this stamp of approval. You know, it's a a very rigorous and verified certification process. And I like that about it because it's real um, and it keeps the fakers out, frankly. But they are also sort of continually raising the standard for what it means to become a, a certified B Corp. And I think that's really important because if our community is going to serve as the role model to the world for regenerative business practices. We can't stand still, you know. We got to learn. We got to learn from each other. We got to learn from our experience. We got to react to what's happening in the world around us, and we got to we've got to continue to make better, you know, make ourselves better and raise that bar um, so that we do continue to get better.
1: Any advice for others currently trying to certify for the first time or going through recertification?
0: Yeah, I guess for for first time certifiers. One of the one of the biggest values for us was the process itself. So um, it wasn't getting to the end and you know sort of clicking submit and then going through that review process with the with with the standards team and, and and finally becoming certified. But it was the learning that happened along the way. All the questions, as you probably know, that you wind up getting asked force you to stop and think, or they force your team members to stop and think about the way you're running your business. And that process, in and of itself, I believe with every cell in my body, helps you organize your business in a way that will ultimately cause you to be more successful in today's environment, even if you never certified to become a B Corp. So for companies that you know either don't want certification or for some reason couldn't become certified, I'd still recommend that they go through the impact assessment because by virtue of the types of questions that you're asked and the learning that you can do from what other B Corps are doing, um, you'll, you'll end up with a better business. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: And and speaking of which, as you've mentioned, you certified back in 2014. You had a B Corp score of 82.8. And now you have a score of 106.4. And you were a best for the world honoree for best for the environment in 2015,
0: 2016,
1: 2018, and 2019. I'm curious, what did it take to get there?
0: Well, I think most of the, you know, separating those two things, moving from 82.8, which was, boy, we just barely made it over the bar, right? to 106.4 was uh, the result of a couple of big moves like focusing more on benefits to employees and our, our pro bono program and then lots of little incremental steps that we took along the way to sort of decarbonize some of our operation and, and put in place hiring and, and formalize hiring practices and the like that allowed us to score points where you know, we weren't in a position to do that back in in 2014 because those those policies and practices didn't exist the best for the environment is is almost a it's almost like a completely separate question right um we're a mission-driven business you know sustainability uh, and and combating climate change they're not add-ons for us they're not oh we make our product and then we also do this they're at the heart of our product and educating You know, we have the we're fortunate enough through those websites I described to get to educate thousands and tens of thousands of event attendees every year and see that impact grow. And we have people come back to us and say, you know, talk to us about how they brought what they learned through the conference website back into their company and and started to push for more sustainable travel or carbon offsetting or or less flying or what have you. So I think that's what got us to to best for the environment. But at the end of the day, you'd have to ask the judges.
1: (laughs) I, I know that the. I want to say recent pandemic, but we're still kind of in it, like, I don't know, wherever we we are with the pandemic, I think it's hard for anyone to say. But I know it's presented some huge challenges for so many businesses with travel and event industries really being hit the hardest. How are you navigating these challenges?
0: So you're right. The impact on our industry has been enormous. Um, There are other industries that have been impacted as much as ours, but I don't know of any that have been impacted more than ours um the the travel and events business and, and events in particular fell off a cliff at the at the start of the uh pandemic and it's only now just beginning to recover so near term the hit to our revenue was catastrophic i mean just just terrible and the way events work is you you plan an event 2 or 3 years in, in advance so you go to all the effort and all the expense and then that event occurs in 2020 but oops that event didn't occur in 2020 um, and so you don't have revenue from it. So from that perspective, disaster. sort of on the plus side, I think during this pe- during this during this process, people got a lot more thoughtful about the impacts that their events were having. And the sort of global, and certainly our national, political, and public conversation around climate change has dialed up by tenfold in the last year. And some of that's because, well, we're seeing the worst forest fires that we've ever seen, and we're seeing the worst floods we've ever seen, and we're seeing them in places we didn't expect to see them. But a lot of that, honestly, is, is really just about national dialogue and, 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 the, and the appropriate politics surrounding it. And so what that's meant is that a lot of event organizers have decided now is the time that they need to address this. And so, you know, the silver lining for us is that in the last 18 months, when our current business has been terrible, We've signed up more co- more new customers than we have in the in the prior five years, so we're very confident we're going to come out of this strong as the events industry picks up again and as people feel comfortable traveling to conferences and events again.
1: That's awesome. That's great. Great to hear. That especially the people are being more more conscious. I think is is very very exciting. Yeah, it it, it excites us every day. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, what's on the horizon for trip zero with the emergence of vaccines and talk of herd immu- immu- immunization and the coming year and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it sounds like folks are planning events now or are, yeah. are people still thinking about it? Or
0: No. So there, first of all, there are events that are, that are absolutely ha- large events, writ large events happening right now today. Not every event that was scheduled to happen in the fall is happening. A lot of them have been, been pushed out to the spring or the next fall. But there are a lot of events going on and they're proving to be safe. So what's what's what event organizers are doing is they're putting a gate in place and they're saying, look, you can come to the event if you're vaccinated. Or you can come to the event if you're vaccinated and maybe we're going to ask you to wear a mask too when you're on, let's say, the trade show floor. And so they're creating, it's not a perfect bubble, but it's but it, it's a bubble in which you can feel pretty safe. And in fact, there was a study done recently which showed that you're actually safer going to a conference than you are going to the grocery store. And I do that every other week. Mm. And if you think about it, if I go to a conference and the conference has required everyone to be vaccinated, right? On average, I'm probably safer there than I am at the grocery store. And so, you know, people, I think their their confidence is returning that they can go and meet again. And there's enormous desire to. So when this all started, you know, and and suddenly everybody became adept at Zoom, there were A lot of journalists, I think a lot of young journalists who said, uh, hey, this is it for business travel. Business travel is over. We never need to do this again and forget conferences and events. Why would we why would we bother to do that when we can do this? Fast forward 18 months and everyone I know is so sick of being on Zoom calls. You know, they're ready to jump out their window and they're dying to get back in person with people. Because it turns out if you want to build rapport, you know, the kind of rapport that helps you build your career or find new customers or you know, learn new things, that stuff happens in person. So people are dying to be back in person, which is part of the reason that I think now so many people are actually back at events, you know, even though right we're in the middle of another, or maybe we're on the downside slope of another surge, but we've just had another surge of this because there's huge value in it. And there's sort of huge human desire to be face to face and building those relationships. So I think the event industry is going to rebound really strongly probably beginning in the spring and, and solidly into the rest of 2022 and 2023.
1: That's that's great to hear. I know uh, I was part of the planning for the build uh, here in New England last year, and we had this constant like, are we in person? Are we going to go virtual? Are we in person? Are we going to go virtual? And it was like the hardest thing to navigate. And we're like, okay, we're just going to go online because we we just don't know. And everything was so up in the air last year. It just felt so unsure. But it sounds like, it, and it sounds like it's working well for folks that it is okay to start planning events. Yeah. Just putting those precautions like vaccines and mask wearing can create a very safe uh, and doable environment for
0: folks. A- absolutely. And, and I, you know, I, I speak to this point as a human being, not as somebody in the event business, you know, a year ago, pre vaccines, when event organizers would solicit our opinion on this, you know, our opinion was you should go virtual. It's not safe yet. Right. Post vaccines. It's a completely different story. And and particularly if you put some some gating in place, um, you know, you can't go to a concert at Live Nation now without being vaccinated. They've just said we're done. We're not going to expose our fans to the risk and we're not going to expose our bands to the risk. So conference and event industry, I think, should you know, just uniformly follow suit and we'll all be safer and happier.
1: That sounds great. That sounds great. I'm, I'm curious, what have been some of your most rewarding experiences as a B Corp?
0: You know, I would say that the, the most rewarding experience has been learning from other B Corps in the community about the way they run their business and the things that they highlight in order to become certified B Corps. The the degree of creativity that that B Corps show in the process of building, you know, regenerative businesses and a regenerative economy is it's just amazing. Um, and the generosity of spirit, you know, if you if you if you meet a fellow B Corp manager and you want to know more about how they did that really cool thing that you've read a press release about? Yeah, they'll sit down with you and talk with you about it for hours. They'll, you know, it's there's no concern about whether they're sharing something that's competitive, even though they probably worked really hard on it and it probably does give them competitive advantage. They want everyone to do it. Why? Because it's the right thing to do. So, so that learning process for me has just been it just been absolutely amazing. You know, I I'm old enough that I grew up. In in my business training during the time of of shareholder primacy, you know, businesses existed to create value for shareholders. Period, and I've sort of been through a detox program as a result um, of my involvement with the B Corp community, um, and so that's been that's been hugely rewarding. The other thing that I would say is is the convenings. So you know, every year uh, there's this event called the B Corp Champions Retreat, which brings together. Uh, sort of thought leaders from B Corps all around the country, all around the globe, and then thought leaders from sort of related nonprofits and the like. And it's 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 unlike any other event I've ever been to. The people there, the stories that they'll share, the knowledge that they're share they'll share it's it's off the charts. And so I I would be remiss if I didn't mention that. And it's not just because I'm a conference guy. Uh, I came back from the first one in 2014, which was up in Burlington, Vermont. And I was I think I was literally starry eyed. And my wife looked at me a little sideways. And she said, "Uh, you found your people, didn't you? I said, yeah, I I did. And then I proceeded to talk to her straight for about three hours.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. Um, I'm curious, what advice do you have for other businesses thinking about becoming a B Corp?
0: You know, if you're just starting the process, um, I would I would encourage people to focus on the process itself. So the the process of going through certification and how it, can, how it can help you build a better business. So as you go through certification, it's not just a gate to get through, but it's an opportunity to stop and ask yourself questions about the way you're running your company and the way you ought to be running your company. And, and not just you, the person sitting in front of the screen, completing the assessment, but the most important part is when you turn to your team and you raise one of these topics and you say, how are we going to answer this question How could we answer it based on what we do today? And how would we like to be able to answer it a year from now? The value you get out of that is enormous. Even if you never wind up certifying, the value is just of that process is enormous. So I would say value the process and you'll build a more successful business. And, you know, the thing that may help you keep going is that along the way, you know, if you become part of this community, you're going to experience some love and some joy that you hadn't expected. And uh, those aren't words that I throw around casually.
1: Time to level up through action and impact. This segment is meant to provide you with ways you can get involved in a local and global level with one challenge mentioned in the episode. You can do all of what follows or choose your own adventure. If it feels overwhelming, I'm encouraging you to listen for one action in the following listed actions to give a try. If we all make even the smallest of changes, you would be amazed at how it can ripple out. Eric came to a huge realization about the impact that he was having on the planet when he stopped to calculate his own carbon footprint. You can also calculate your carbon footprint for free with B Corp certified Native Energy, the one that Eric mentioned in this episode. Knowing is half the battle. From there, you can choose to purchase carbon offsets directly from Native Energy if you so choose as an individual or for your business. Or by simply knowing your biggest contributions to your carbon footprint, you can work to reduce them. Maybe you take a train instead of flying this holiday season or you carpool to an event with a colleague or you start riding your bike to work a couple days a week. There are other things you can do as well besides just transportation, of course. Try reducing the amount of meat and dairy you consume. You don't need to cut out entirely, just reducing it. Maybe you start with one meat-free meal a week and you go from there. We'd love to hear some of your ideas and some of the things that you're going to be trying to help reduce your carbon footprint. Shoot us a note. Go head on over to the responsiblydifferent.com website, scroll to the bottom, hit contact us. We'd love to hear what you're implementing. And thanks so much for tuning into this episode. We have yet another big announcement coming for next month. Starting in November, we will be launching our very own Patreon page where you can support the show and get even more value from it. We'll have four different tiers you can choose from to support the show with benefits from the ability to know what interviews are coming up so you can submit your own questions for guests to engaging with other fans and forums and monthly webinar events and so much more. We're excited for this because it's one more way that we can continue to serve the community and it's a way for us to fund some of the big projects we have in mind for you all. And most importantly, we want to have you in the work with us to get the latest updates on when the Patreon page will go live and how you can get involved. Subscribe to our email list at responsiblydifferent.com forward slash support. Next time on Responsibly Different, I sit down with the co-founders of essential oils company EO Products and everyone for everybody, Susan Griffin Black and Brad Black.
0: However, if you just shift it slightly and it's less about me and it's more of an external thing that I aspire to for the common good, it's very, it's, it's difficult in the business space because business is really defined for individual good. Individual power, individual greed, individual—you you, you name that. Yet, for a, a force for the common good is really, I think, where the B Corp is, and really the umbrella that we try to operate from.
1: Till next time, be responsibly different. This is a production of go Collective. Claire Klassen is our project manager. Jeremy Glass is our writer. The music is an original score by our very own Kevin Oates, and I, Ben Marine, am your host and editor. To learn more about Dirigo Collective, visit dirigocollective.com.